Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist. As a part of my month-long celebration in August of producing 1,000 podcasts, I'm doing a special series each week. This week, I paired with Matt Kelly, founder of Radical Compliance, and my podcast partner on Compliance into the Weeds to take a five-part exploration of the future of audit, compliance, and analytics. This five-part series talks about where internal audit has been, where they are now, and where they may be going. I think you'll find this to be a fascinating exploration of the use of internal audit, moving from the third line of defense to literally operationalizing internal audit to help manage risk and monitor risk in a more effective way to help companies become more efficient and, at the end of the day, more profitable. In part one, we take a look at uh, where we have been, two, the three steps of evolution. In part three, I take a look at three specific examples. In part four, we consider the new working relationships that internal audit will have. In part five, we conclude with getting started. I hope you enjoy this series, and I think you will find it fascinating. This special series of the future of audit, compliance, and analytics, part of Compliance Into the Weeds, is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'm back with Matt Kelly, founder and editor of Radical Compliance, for part four of our five-part exploration of the future of audit, compliance, and analytics. Today, we're going to take a look at new working relationships. So, Matt, uh, welcome. Hello, Tom. So, Matt, uh, typically internal audit is, I believe, the third line of defense. And one of the things that I think you have suggested is that by greater use of analytics, that internal audit can, uh, if not move closer uh, to the second or or first line, perhaps work more closely with those who are traditionally seen as as the first or second lines of defense. Uh, Could you explain that for us? Yeah, sure. I think, um, you know, one point that maybe I I should have made at a segment earlier in this series here, but I think an an important point about why this is going to change the relationship between audit and other functions is that the move towards better analytics and risk monitoring drives up the importance of strong control design. And people really need to start thinking about how would we detect, how would we monitor the risks that are important to my business process? I'll give you a specific example. Um, Improper payments, bribery, anti-corruption, things like that. They are always somehow hidden away in marketing expenses. So if there is an improper expense that is hidden in some sort of marketing uh, expenditure at the company, where would that normally turn up? It would probably be reported on the income statement under sales, general, and administrative. That's the line item. So let's think about this. At a large company, and I looked up Walmart for this specific example, Walmart's SG&A costs in 2018 were $106 billion. So a material amount of money for Walmart around uh, the SG&A costs would be about a billion dollars. Now, you can 
command the world with far fewer with bribes through far fewer than a hundred billion dollars you can get, accomplish an enormous amount of anti-corruption trouble in improper payments with a small amount of money that would never be detected by a traditional uh financial control because in an external audit they're only going to look at well what's material what's material to sgna is everything more than a billion dollars so they're never going to pick up that hundred thousand dollar bribe that somebody might pay now not all companies are Walmart. In fact, nobody is. So you bring all of that down. But the point is, what is a useful control for anti-corruption purposes is not the same as a useful control for financial reporting. Walmart knows that. They've got a very good and very strong internal control system. But I just use that to make the point that people really need to think about what is a proper control for the risk that my business process is working on. And a lot of times I think business process owners will say, I don't really know. So I'm going to need to work with internal audit. Um, this is fine because actually I think if internal audit frames what they want to do as going to the business unit, whether that's somebody in operations, that's the first line of defense, or somebody in a different management function, HR, legal, IT security, things like that, their second line of defense. But if you go to them and you say, I'm here to help you clarify what your risks really are and figure out how to manage them more accurately, more closely, more effectively. But you have to tell me what the risk is. You have to tell me what your business process is. And then I'm going to try and figure out with you what is a sensible control that will work, will not drive you and the other employees in your department crazy. Um, and then it generates useful data that you can see, that I can see, and everybody's happy. That's the conversation that's going to have to happen. Um, now, always internal auditors are going to have to think about how do they still maintain some independence and objectivity. Uh, I'm not saying that internal audit should become the new Department of Risk Monitoring Assistance and helping everybody to achieve new targets, things like that. That's not what internal audit does. And a lot of people would be very annoyed if it were, uh, I think probably including me. But um, you really have to think about what can internal audit do. And so you, as I say, you have to think about it. You, everybody who is in compliance, everybody who's in some other business function, you have to think about how could I take advantage of what the internal audit department can do because the audit department is probably going to do this anyways. The audit department knows that anti-corruption risk, for example, that's a big concern of the board and they're going to be looking at anti-corruption risk anyways. They're going to be thinking about what is an effective anti-corruption control that will want to either test or wonder why you don't have it or anything like that. So you, the compliance person, who is in charge of anti-corruption on a daily basis, you want to be aware of that and you want to reach out to internal audit and say, all right, here's what I'm doing now. What are you doing? What are you thinking about internal audit or anti-corruption controls that we can have a useful conversation that whatever you do audit people to monitor those risks, you're going to develop something that is also useful to me and I can take it back to my department so I can streamline my own operations. That's really the conversation. And then you want to be thinking, whoever you are, um, whatever the issue is, how do we have that conversation over and over about, 
um, anti-harassment, about maybe, I don't know, antitrust and bid rigging, about IT security, about bringing in new third parties, maybe specifically around data service providers and security risks that they have. Always it's going to be, what are my operational risks? Because this is something my department does. And what are the controls that I have? What do I think would be nice? What's the audit department going to come in and recommend I do implement or wonder why I don't have it? And then try and have a meeting of the minds and see how audit can come up with something that is useful to them, but also usable by you that you can take. Because audit does not want to be the ones who are managing anti-corruption risk. They want to make sure that you, the compliance officer, are managing anti-corruption risk in a way that makes sense for the company. And that's all. And then they want to go on because they got other risks that they have to think about too. Um, so that's really what you want to do. Um, and, you know, I would just say that I think consider how a world where analytics is more prominent um, consider, you know, if a world where everything is more analytics driven, how is that going to work in corporate culture? I've given a lot of examples that sound kind of positive, but there are many ways that I think a data driven analytics culture can also wind up being, frankly, a, a negative place to work. Um, we've all seen that that which is managed or measured gets managed. Well, if you measure everything and you manage everything, then you are micromanaging people. Uh, so you will have to think sometimes about how does this really impact the human beings who are in our organization? Uh, but those are big, broad questions I don't think society has fully answered yet. But you have to also realize if you're managing and observing everything, what does that say about uh, making it also a nice place to work, an interesting and challenging place to work, aside from being a well-managed, risk-managed place to work? There's two different conversations to have, but that's the sort of stuff that's going to be happening in the future. Well, Matt, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time. I've been visiting with Matt Kelly on part four of our five-part exploration of the future of audit, compliance, and analytics. Today, we took a look took a look at new working relationships, and tomorrow we're actually going to go uh, going to go Greek alphabet with Alpha Omega with our part five conclusion. But it's getting started. So, Matt, I look forward to continuing the discussion on our next episode. All right. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for joining us for this five-part series on exploring the future of audit, compliance, and analytics with Matt Kelly, founder of Radical Compliance. If you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. You can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. I hope you will join us again for another episode. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.